This week on Making Contact. If every little thing that you did made a difference, would you do things a little different? If everything that you said built the world, would you be the sacred keeper of your word? Would you believe me if I told you you're the reason we are here? Would there be meaning to your breathing if your exhale made the air? Together, Elixir and Naima make up award-winning performance duo Climbing Poetry, mixing politics and poetry to educate and inspire. It's incredibly important to present the information in ways that it can touch people in the heart and not just in the head. Because if it can touch you in the heart, you'll be inspired to do something about it and not just run away. On this edition, we hear performances by Climbing Poetry, and we ask them why they see art as a weapon. I'm Salima Hamarani. And I'm George Lavender. And this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. I wonder if the sun debates dawn some mornings. Not wanting to rise out of bed from under that down feather horizon. If the sky grows tired of being everywhere at once, adapting to the mood swings of the weather. If clouds drift off trying to hold themselves together, make deals with gravity to loiter a little longer. I wonder if rain is scared of falling. If she has trouble letting go. If snowflakes get sick of being perfect all the time. Each one trying to be one of a kind. I wonder if stars wish upon themselves before they die. If they need to teach their young how to shine. I wonder if shadows long to just for once feel the sun. If they get lost in the shuffle not knowing where they're from. I wonder if sunrise. And sunset Respect each other Even though they've never met If storms have have regrets If volcanoes get stressed If compost Believes in life after death I wonder If breath ever thinks of suicide If the wind Just wants to sit still sometimes And watch the world pass him by If smoke was born knowing how to rise. If rainbows get shy backstage. Not sure if their colors match right. I wonder if lightning needs an alarm clock to know when to crack. If rivers ever stop and think of turning back. If streams meet the wrong sea and their whole lives run off track. I wonder if the snow wants to be black. If the soil thinks she's too dark. If butterflies want to cover up their marks. If rocks are self-conscious of their weight. If mountains are insecure of their strength. I wonder if waves get discouraged crawling up the sand only to be pulled back again to where they began. If land feels stepped upon, if sand feels insignificant, if trees need to question their lovers to know where they stand. If branches waver at the crossroads unsure of which way to grow. If leaves understand, they're replaceable, and they still dance when the wind blows. I wonder where the moon goes when she is in hiding. I want to find her there and watch the ocean spin from a distance. Listen to her stir in her sleep. Effort give way to existence.
What you just heard was a performance by Elixa and Naima, two poets who together make up climbing poetry. After Salima and I heard them perform, we invited them into the Making Contact studio to talk about poetry, politics, and popular education. That's right, and we began by asking them where they got their name. We like to climb trees. <laughs> like when we first met, we were really, really into tree climbing. And I always have a hammock in the back of my car. And on our first tour, we didn't know a lot of people. You know, we we went on tour for five and a half months. And so there was a lot of lag time between knowing people. And so we would hang hammocks in the top of high places in cities so we could take naps or rest or whatever. And nobody would ever think to look up. You know, we were so safe up there. It was like the best way of being not homeless, but transitioning journey gypsies. <laughs> And then there's deeper meaning to it. Yeah, really recognizing that the poetry, the word, the artistry is something that we can use to elevate in our communities. Alex and I joke that we're really not in the entertainment business. We're in the inner attainment business. And we really think about this attainment, this elevation, this power to uprise in our communities using the art as fodder for inspiration, for empowerment, to help us really be able to imagine the future that we're walking into. As women of color... How do you feel art can amplify voices that are excluded from the dominant culture? I think it's extremely important for us to tell our stories in a culture that generally mingles it or silences it. And so I think it's perpetually important for us to create platforms where we are speaking to that truth and through it reinventing the future that we're walking into and creating spaces where our narratives cannot be erased because we are creating such parallel universes that we don't even exist within the dominant narrative. And so if we don't even exist in the dominant narrative, then our reality can't be messed with. It can't be, it just can't be messed with. It's its own existence, you know? And so it's extremely like, important. So what's the awesome line that you wrote about being immune like can't get what you're catching oh we yeah we are we're from out we're from out of space immune can't get what you're catching and our spaceships don't need building permits we make music from star guitars speaking riddles to build this bridge from brooklyn to a retreat our moonlit dreaming drips nectar from our soul until our soil is enriched yeah it keeps yeah. going but <laughs> yeah, that specific line just made me think like we don't need building permits for our spaceships <laughs> <laughs> It feels really important, not only the stories that Alix and I are telling, but the fact that we get to stand before audiences as young, queer, woman of color, immigrant women, to be able to create a different picture of so often like who we receive information from. And that's been reflected to us a lot by folks who've come out to our shows and been moved, who've hit us up, like, you don't even understand what it meant to hear something that felt so viscerally true to me from someone who looks so much like me and y'all's locks were swinging around like mine and y'all mixed race like me. And, you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people just about what that significance is for for people. And so that means Mm -hmm. a lot. And for these past couple of concerts, having a lot of um, young queer people of color in the audience who are like, what? these rap stars are like me, you know, like to have to be, you know, like, the, you know, because they're like looking up to us like, wow, oh my God, like music that I like and that I want to listen to with somebody that shares an identity with me. And that's, I just feel like that that's really special, something that I didn't necessarily feel a lot growing up. So I'm excited to be able to 
you know, stand in a position where we can really help empower voices that often get, you know, pushed to this to the margins. Your work covers a wide range of issues, but you keep coming back to the environment and environmental justice. Why is that? To me, I really feel like the environment is going to be that one blade we just can't go up against, you know, and we've pushed ourselves into a corner and it being environmentalists, really researching the environment, speaking at environmental justice conferences where we're hanging out with top scientists who are responsible for like the creation of the Kyoto Protocol or whatever and sitting down and having conversations with them and seeing how drastic and dire the situation really is around the environment and how little our people know about it. Like people just don't know because people, unless you want to go out of your way to find out, the media isn't telling you, you know what I mean? It might be like a little blurb, but when twice the size of Manhattan icebergs just broke off into the ocean, scientists in 91 said it's going to take 100 years for that chunk of ice to break off. And it happened in 11 years, you know, in 11 years. And so we have no idea as a population how fast this transition is going to come. And so for us, it's incredibly important to give a highlight to present the information in ways that it can touch people in the heart and not just in the head. Because if it can touch you in the heart, you'll be inspired to do something about it and not just run away from the situation and hide yourself under a rock. The other piece that feels so important to me in talking about environmentalism, because it has been so co-opted in recent times, because it's pretty hard to deny that there's some intense planetary destruction going on and some irreversible climate change, even though there's still the skeptics that are being hired by the petroleum companies. It's becoming part of common language and it's being, of course, co-opted into this like greenwashing of everything that I can feel is so dangerous because, you know, the corporations are presenting this model that we can just buy our way out of this problem, like throw away all this toxic stuff and just spend more money on this and we're going to be all right. And that's really not the case. And so it's really important for us to counteract those messages that are seeping into collective consciousness and also to bring in a justice lens, a race class lens into environmentalism. Um, because oftentimes, again, when we think about, oh, we got to save our planet, it's like we start thinking about conservation movements. We start thinking about certain species, which as important as the sanctity of all life is, it's so critical that we're really paying attention to who is contributing the most to the environmental catastrophe that we find ourselves in and who is bearing the brunt in terms of who's receiving the immense amounts of electronic waste from you know this crazy you know electronic technology upsurge we've had, whose um, water is being privatized, who is bearing the brunt of these extreme weather patterns. Um, you know, we look at the earthquake in Haiti, we look at New Orleans, so many examples of unnatural disasters that are happening um, in you know, the indigenous peoples who are whose ways of life are completely being obliterated by the environmental catastrophe that we're in. So it's really important um, for us to make sure that, that that story is also being told. And to that end, you created Hurricane Season. Tell us about that. At least my latest production is called Hurricane Season, The Hidden Messages in Water, which is a multimedia theater production and national organizing strategy and eco-justice tour that we launched in 2008 
and we were inspired to create this work of hurricane season in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, recognizing that there was nothing natural about that disaster, and that really reflected the unnatural disasters that are happening on a daily basis in our neighborhoods and communities across the country and across the world. And for us, hurricane season is really about recognizing this hurricane season that we're living in, recognizing this time of accelerating catastrophe and disaster, not just in terms of literally the extreme storms and weather patterns that we've been experiencing, which, yes, is part of that, but also this metaphor of the storm representing the intense state violence and displacement environmental injustice that is manifesting in different ways um, across our planet in this day. And so we're saying this era is the hurricane season. And the piece is really taking an unflinching look at the eye of the storm, being willing to examine some of these pressing issues of our time around mass incarceration incarceration and over-policing and militarization and gentrification and um, displacement of immigrant people, looking at immigration issues, looking at the climate catastrophe, all these issues that are really cooking in our time. But more than anything, hurricane season is really a rallying cry to recognize our inherent power and potential to be part of a great shifting that the world is so thirsty for, recognizing that bound up in destruction is an immense possibility for doing something different, for recreation, for changing the story, and looking at this as a, as a time of great creative potential in the midst of so much destruction. We'll hear Alixa and Naima perform a poem from Hurricane Season after the break. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. That's right, and because of listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the US, Canada, and Australia. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Up next, Alixa and Naima tell us how they went on to create an entire curriculum based on their latest production, Hurricane Season. We in trouble, friends. The storm clouds are coming coming in. And I can hear the rumbling of of atom bombs bombs that make tsunamis. Like a butterfly flapping its wings. On the other side of the world is is a a tornado tornado in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Torrential rain in Jamaica. An earthquake in in Haiti. A typhoon in in Vietnam. A monsoon in Korea. A landslide in India. Fire in San Diego. Diego, Massive flooding in China. China, A mudslide in Chappas. Indonesia. Acid rain in Hiroshima. It's been snowing. In the desert, y'all, something is wrong here. Stay calm. This, this is an emergency. I tell you if I knew, but, but the, the future, future hasn't, hasn't said a word to me. She's angry that her children won't be born death free. Destiny said man made curses are her worst pet peeve. They are selling the rain. They are leasing the rivers. They are auctioning off the oceans to to the the highest bidders. As giant chunks of the polar ice caps dislodge from the North Pole. And tourists flock to the site to to take pictures. There is disaster tourism. Like there's disaster profiteering. Off the torrential storms. And the warring. And the wrath of global warming. Who will get paid to rebuild? And who will they build for? Who will endure the drought and the rain? Who will be safe and sound indoors? indoors? Who Who built the missiles? The smart bombs? 
rockets, who, who gets, gets raided, who gets paid from whose pockets, who, who gets sent off to war, who dies for whose profits, who, who gets remembered, who's been forgotten, who paved concrete over the pores of the earth to make our lives harder, and build buildings to scrape skies, trying to get closer to God, but move farther. Our history's been lost to forgetfulness, erased by the frontiers of manifest destiny. As if destiny were man-made or manifested in the hands of colonial planners who build their thrones atop the remains of nations like gravestones. Celebrate Columbus Day with clearance sales to buy up stuff to cover up that which cannot be bought or sold, only stolen like breath or life. Life or home or an entire people who once believed that land could never be owned and the ocean is, is worth more than gold and water cannot be held captive. It will reshape even stone and even when the last tree stands alone, it still makes a sound long after it's fallen in a forest that lived even if no one saw it and fed the world its breath whether or not we applauded one hand clapping sounds a lot like, like the, the rhythms we lost in generations who sang even as they departed and now we stand at, at the, the doorway in the hallway life brought us to this crossroads of lost hope and undeniable promise where we choose between paths beyond rightness or wrongness that, that will lead to the brink of the planet's exhaustion or the age of compassion where the meek become strongest and re-inherit the earth and redefine progress. So that was a poem from your latest production, Hurricane Season. Tell us more about that project. So we've taken hurricane season to 50 cities across the nation. We toured on a little white bus that we converted to run and recycle vegetable oil. We toured the nation with an all-woman crew. And it was really important for us as we were organizing the tour to align ourselves with everything that was in the production, everything we were speaking on. So even down to the bus, it's like we can't be talking about environmental catastrophe and, you know, taking up gas everywhere we go. So hence the conversion of the bus or empowering women you know what I mean and showing everywhere that we go that yeah we can have a whole multimedia theater production and every facet whether it be the DJ where it be those helping us build whether it be you know the master of ceremonies it's all powered by women not to say that men can't do these things of course they can and the dominant narrative is that men do you know and for us it was like no women do it too you know what I mean and so we were creating every single element of, of the piece from the set to the media to the poetry to how we were actually organizing it mm -hmm. and in addition to the production the show performance element of hurricane season it was also a national organizing strategy and the fact that every one of these 50 cities that we went to every one of these tour stops we had something that was unique to that city which was called the solution cipher and that was a very critical element for us in the show that we would have a platform to really talk about local solutions that are being you know, underway currently. And for us, we're very strategic about 
this arts as activism thing. It's not just about the lyrics that we're spitting or what we're preaching. It's about, you know, how can we really channel the energy that's cultivated in our shows into meaningful, immediate, and tangible action. And so we organize and network with local grassroots organizers, activists, healers, and visionaries in every one of the cities that we travel to ahead of time um, who are really doing powerful work on the ground around the issues that we bring up in the show on a local level and gave them the platform to speak in the middle of the show, right between the first act and the second act, to say, you know, this is how this is relevant here in Detroit or in Houston and this is what is being done about it. This is an amazing victory, a success story from the recent times. And in that way, it really starts to transform that energy of like, oh, my God, there's so many problems in the world to, wow, there's something being done right here, right now to transform that. And the representatives from these grassroots groups and movements would actually give a call out to the audience saying, these are ways that you can get involved and participate. Like, we need a DJ for the benefit um, coming up next weekend, or we need mentors for our program, or we need people to volunteer at the community garden, whatever it might be. We need a fax machine. We need office space. You know, putting that call out to the audience so that people in that moment of inspiration can really sign up to be part of, of something larger than themselves. And so that was a really important strategy that was part of the tour as well. Mm -hmm. And as we were creating hurricane season, there was so much information that we were gathering that even before it hit the first stage, we knew that we wanted to turn it into a curriculum and that that was the long term goal. So hurricane season, we started creating in 2006, a year after Hurricane Katrina hit. And since then, it has been our pipe dream to turn it into a multidisciplinary curriculum, bringing a new pedagogy into the classroom. Um, and definitely as we did the shows, it became more and more evident that that's the direction it needed to go people often were like i feel like i just read a whole volume oh my god or you know we literally had had professors of science being like i've learned more in the hour than i have in the last four years teaching my subject you know we're like wow really that's amazing you know because it's just bringing it's connecting so much and we tend to divide our movement we tend to divide our information we tend to you know we love division and uniqueness you know and for us it's extremely important to find the spider web in it all and the interrelationship in it all um and so for the last Two and a half years, we've been working with a team. Uh, there's seven of us, educators, amazing educators, um, from directors of education to teachers to arts educators, whatever, um, coming together to create an 80-lesson plan curriculum based on hurricane season. And it's divided into four seasons. Season one is really looking at the oppression as individuals. How do we experience this oppression? How do we perpetuate this oppression in our communities, in our families? Season two is about understanding the systems of oppression that are national, that are global. Season three is starting to understand these systems of resistance and how has art really infused itself in movements, in successful movements? How do we rewrite the histories? Like, you know, when you're in high school, they teach you about Rosa Parks being this incredible, powerful woman who one day just decided to not get up. But she was part of a whole movement, you know? And it's rare that in a high school setting, they teach you how she was connected to a bigger movement that was set forth with a plan. You know, and so it's really about tapping back into those histories and retelling them in their truthful and rightful way and drawing inspiration from that. And then season four is about service learning and service project learning and it's student-led and so at that point anything and everything that inspired you in the prior seasons you take and apply into the real world and you create a project 
that will bring success to any one area that you feel needed some help, some fueling, some whatever. You talked about bringing new ways of learning into the classroom. How did your own experiences of education shape the way you developed this curriculum? I think for me it's more the lack thereof. I didn't experience what I want to experience, what I want our young people to experience. I want them to learn through ways that they can connect with and are inspired. Use hip-hop. You know what I mean? There is so much hip-hop out there that will teach you a lot really fast, and you'll get your kids really excited about it, you know? Using theater of the oppressed, using games to break down really complex issues about capitalism and class and race and power and power dynamics and who who bears the brunt, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So um, bringing animation into the classroom, bringing media. There's so much accessibility to media now. I mean, just on your phone, you can make your own little video or on YouTube, you can put whatever. You can just browse the internet. It's the Oracle, you know? You can mm-hmm. ask Google whatever and you find, you know? So there's so many tools that we have right now and we really, it's all about implementing those and giving our learners an opportunity to get creative, to get their hands dirty, to get, you know, just... There's so, and there's also so many ways of learning. To me, memorization and regurgitation is such an old paradigm, and we are not about that. It's really about getting the kids out of the classroom, getting them up off their chairs, and embodying having conversation with each other to really start to dissect these issues. So for me, it's more of what I didn't experience than what I did. So before you perform your final poem, I wanted to ask you, what keeps you going? And we get so many emails, too, from audience members afterwards, and they're, like, testaments. The testimony of our performance is really, I think, at the end of the day, what keeps us going. Because people are so... Their their hearts are just so open, and they're like, wow, I had no idea this was happening, and I've changed my whole lifestyle because of it, and I'm doing this now, and I'm trying to shut down Coca-Cola on my campus, and, you know, like, people get real riled up, and they're actually doing things because of it. You know, after our very, very first show, I remember I prayed, you know, because I believe in prayer, and I was like, all right, creator, give us a sign that this is, you know, what we need to do. And after our very first show ever, 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 in Northampton, Massachusetts, right before we launched our, our very first tour called Uniting the State of the Americas. Um, this woman, maybe a month or so later, emailed us, and she was like, you know, I never, ever thought about the people inside a prison. I drive by this prison every day to and from work, and after your performance, there was no way of not thinking about those people. And it got to the point where I literally had to go into the prison and offer my yoga services. And now I teach yoga inside of the facility on, on a weekly basis. You know, and that for me was one, a huge sign. And it was the sign that I had asked for the creator to show me. And two, like a constant reminder, you know, whenever we get too tired or we're like, oh, what are we doing? When those moments get really hard, I think about that. If every little thing that you did made a difference, would, would you, you do things a little different? If everything that you said built the world, would, would you, you be the sacred keeper of your word? Would you believe me if I told you you're, you're the reason we are here? Would there be meaning to your breathing if your exhale made the air? We were born right now for a reason. We can be whatever. We give ourselves the power to be. And right now we need dream weavers, bridge builders, truth sayers, light bearers, food growers, wound healers, trailblazers, life lovers, peace makers. Give what you most deeply desire to give. Every moment you are choosing to live or you are waiting. Why would a flower hesitate to open now? 
now is the only moment. Let go, become the ocean. Possibility is as wide as the space we create to hold it. We were born right now for a reason. The reason is up to you. Just think if so much is controlled by so few. Imagine how much so many of us could all do. When you consider this system runs off of our fuel. If we stop running along, we see just who's ruling who. The game don't exist if we don't play by its rules. So don't be scared of the spark in the spell of great darkness or afraid of the light in the moment of dawning or the heights you will reach when you rise to your calling and release all your rain. Call it flying or falling. Let go of your wanting and give in to your longing to live free of possession and full of belonging to the intricate infinites. We're all a part of the web that you wove in a dream you've forgotten was the creator. Awakening into your conscience, condensation of vapor into a droplet of water. And that's all we've got time for on this week's show. For a CD copy of this program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736 or check out our website, radioproject.org, to get a podcast, download past shows, or make a difference by supporting our work. Like Making Contact on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Lisa Rudman is our executive director, Andrew Stelzer and Jen Chan producers, Irene Flores, web editor, Lisa Bartfi and Erin Mathewson, production interns, and Barbara Barnett, Dan Turner and Alton Bird, volunteers. My co-host today was Salima Hamarani. I'm George Lavender. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Making Contact.